Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Wow, what a podcast. Are you kidding me? We're talking Steve Fezzik, Jeopardy expert. Who knew? Obviously, deep dive into the NBA Finals. And speaking of the NBA Finals, what a great time of year it is, guys. You got beautiful weather and all the sports you can handle. We are in sports heaven right now. You got the NBA and NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball action. If you're looking to add some excitement, make sure you make BetDSI.com your betting partner. You can use BetDSI's live betting platform where you can watch all the events and even bet all the games till the final whistle. Now, new members get 100% bonus match. 100% bonus match using the promo code BELL101. That's B-E-L-L-101. That's double your money to start winning today. Why should you guys choose BetDSI? Well, BetDSI has been paying winners for more than 20 years. One of the top-rated books when it comes to the betting review sites. Use your sports knowledge to make some extra cash this week. BetDSI has a very user-friendly interface and mobile site. BetDSI is also one of the fastest payouts in the industry. Simply play, win, and get paid. BetDSI also offers betting options for everything. You can bet on the NFL, NBA, NHL, boxing, and all the other major sports, politics, even reality TV and esports, virtually everything. You can also try live betting at BetDSI where you can bet on games from start to finish, every play, and every minute until the end. Again, new members get 100% bonus match using promo code BELL101. That's double your money to start winning today. I play there myself and recommend BetDSI. If you want to add some excitement to the sports you love or any other sports you are watching, once again, go to BetDSI.com and use promo code BELL101 and get this limited time 100% bonus offer to make some extra cash. It's only a game until you bet it at BetDSI. Welcome to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Weekly winners from his Wise Guy Roundtable. Broadcasting from the pregame.com studios in Las Vegas. Here is R.J. Bell. All right, you heard it. Dream Preview. I am Brad Powers. NBA Finals Edition alongside Steve Fezzik. R.J. Bell only misses a very small handful of these podcasts each year. So when he does, guys, you know it's important uh, that that he's out. But he'll be back, R.J., next week. A lot to cover in this week's podcast. Of course, we're going to break down the NBA Finals between Golden State and Toronto. Fez has got his early impressions. We're about a third of the way through the Major League Baseball season. We'll be talking Jeopardy! James. James Holzhauer, a sports better breaking records on the popular trivia show. We'll also talk about what WNBA best bet from Fez. I have a best bet on the NBA finals. Uncle Dave Esler also has a best bet. We'll throw in some other nuggets along the way, but let's get right to it. All right, Fez, before we get into Golden State Toronto, let's review. Now, last week, we already knew that Golden State pretty much was going to be here. They swept the, the, the Blazers. What we didn't know at the time was a Toronto team that was down two games to nothing against Milwaukee and 
you could have gotten at that time Toronto six to one. Hundred bucks wins you six hundred. What in the hell happened in those last four games? I'm gonna go to you, Fez, the NBA expert here. What did you see in those last four games on how Toronto you know, overcame a 2-0 deficit, something most teams don't do. And right before, and I believe I have the answer for you, for what happened to Milwaukee, but I think it's important that we stress, before I answer the question, the concept of this is the time of year that the public overreacts to whatever they see, the recency bias. And we really saw that after game two. So two games in, like you said, Milwaukee becomes minus 900. And Milwaukee in game three was an underdog against Toronto, but in game four, as late as game four, Brad Powers, Milwaukee was the favorite against Toronto, laying not one, Milwaukee was laying three. So three games later, oh, Toronto was the superior team. <laughs> Yet somehow before game four, the thought was that not only was Milwaukee better on a neutral, but that Milwaukee should be favored on the road. Yeah, I mean, three points is just do the simple math, guys. I mean, normally in the playoffs, four points are home court advantage. In game four, Milwaukee, being a three-point road favorite, was thought to be nearly seven points better than Toronto. And now, lo and behold, a few games later, it's Toronto that's the team advancing. You know, whether it's, you know, I guess I'll ask it this way. To you, was it much more Milwaukee folding or were there specific things Toronto was doing that that really impressed you? In particular, maybe a role player uh, that, that became a proud papa number two who made a difference in those last three, four games. Yeah, so a little bit of both, um, but I think more Milwaukee, not quite ready for prime time. So let's let's take a step back and talk about basic strategy in the playoffs. What do we usually see? What do we see from Jordan and the Bulls? Well, you got to go ahead and slowly progress further in the playoffs before you're ready to win the playoffs or even to get to the finals. So what playoff experience did Milwaukee have? Well, they lost to Boston in round one last year. So they were a very... Hadn't won a playoff series in like 15 plus years. Very green playoff team. And I think we saw that. We saw the supporting cast for Giannis. Giannis only 24. I think we saw the Giannis who is likely going to be the MVP in June. But... Let's face it, Kawhi Leonard did outplay him in these NBA semifinals. But not just that. I mean, even with Kawhi outplaying Giannis, I still think Milwaukee would have won if not for that greenness of the supporting cast. And what we saw was the Middletons, the Bledsoe's, the Miritich's that just... It seemed like it was in their head. They just were not able to knock down shots, in particular, longer shots, shots that Milwaukee has taken all year long and made at a certain rate, and they just weren't as effective shooting in this series against Toronto. And you nailed it. By contrast, Freddie Van Vliet, who I'm embarrassed to having said that I, I, I went ahead and I blocked Freddie, and I said, that's it. 10 straight bad playoff games. A public declaration of separation. Is that correct? Is that how you were terming it? On Monday after game three, after 10 straight horrible games, he had a horrible Freddie Van Vliet against Philly. Horrible series. All those games, all seven games and three horrendous games where he shot two for 17 from three was averaging either three or four points per game versus his regular season, which was at 11. And right when I dumped Freddie... And it, look, this was a love affair for several years. Freddie has a couple bad weeks, and you throw you toss him to the curb, Fez. I'm the guy that talked about Freddie Van Vliet and how he's worth not just like 
He like, comes off the bench. I don't say he's worth half a point. I say he's worth more than a point to the Raptors. And yet after those 10 horrendous games, and remember, he didn't have a good playoffs last year either. And I said, Freddie is a regular season phenomenon, and he is a no-show in the playoffs. Well, while I was making that public declaration, his wife was giving birth to his first son in Rockford, Illinois. And then he flew back to Toronto. And what should happen? Was it second kid? Is it? Second child. He has a daughter. Yeah, exactly. So he comes back and instead of shooting two for 17, (laughs) he takes 17 threes in games four, five, and six. And he makes 14 of the 17. So think about it. He basically misses almost all his threes the first three games. He makes all of his threes the last three games. Winds up shooting like four, what is that, 46% for the, uh, from three for the series. You put it combined, aggregate together. He had a fine series. I'm sorry, Freddie. Will you take me back? Can you take me back? Because I am back in the Fred Van Vliet camp. He uh, stepped it up while all these stiffs for Milwaukee did not. Do I have to worry, Fez? You and I have now known each other about three years. Like down the road, do I have to worry if I have a couple of really bad weeks, I'm leading you in the wrong direction when it comes to maybe the college side of things. Do I have to worry about you? Just, you know, declaration, public declaration of separation. You know, I have a concern that I've gotten much more of a recency bias than I ever had had before. I was always like, don't overreact any short-term samples. So I think, I think you know what? I don't think you have to worry. I think I have to look inside myself and realize stop overreacting to these small samples, especially, well, shocker, right? When his wife's about to uh, have a baby, maybe Van Vliet is not 100%. I won't go too deep into this, but, but I think some of the issue is, Fez, you and I doing a daily national radio show where we have to have almost a take each and every day, something that you and I haven't been accustomed to. Yeah, I did radio back in the Toledo area, but it's not like I had to have a strong take each and every day. Uh, I think some of that might, I wouldn't say hurt. It certainly helps us as far as prepping constantly. Uh, I'm much more involved in the sports verse media verse uh, than what I ever have been for. But I think sometimes us having to have a take after each and every game, Sometimes I think long term that does hurt us because in the past, ah, whatever, that, you know, that's just, you know, ran, random variance on that one. Three point shooting. Ah, I think there's value on that team the next time. Sometimes I think you and I, and I think we both have issues in this, become more of a prisoner by, by the moment because we have to have a take each and every day on national radio. Yeah, it's very difficult to come in and say, well, Toronto won or lost. The, the Toronto lost game two because of just um, random variance here for Milwaukee <laughs> yeah. shot well and Toronto didn't. By the way, you can draw your own conclusions about this, but for the series, uh, both teams took almost an identical number of threes. They both took right around 233s plus or minus one and Toronto did make 15 more threes than Milwaukee. So there are reasons why you could make the case that Toronto um, made more of their threes. But um, over the course of the season, these two teams had a, um, a a rate of making threes that were within 1% of each other. And here Milwaukee shot much, much worse than Toronto. So how much of that 
was nerves for Milwaukee. How much of that was Toronto stepping up? I will say this. Toronto shot, um, I believe 34% of their shots during the regular season were threes. 39% of their shots during the playoff series were threes. So they actually shot more from threes. So Toronto's three-point rate probably should have gone down. And instead it went up, they made 37% for the series instead of 36%. Yeah, and on average, regular season, Milwaukee averaged about one more make made three-pointer per game than Toronto. But yeah, in this series, like you mentioned it, six games, 15 total more makes for Toronto. So, you know, RJ doesn't want to hear that from time to time, but I do think that did play a a part in why Toronto got the job done and pulled an upset. Speaking of upsets, we don't see too many of those when it comes to the conference finals. This is some stuff that I did. Uh, Going back to the 1987-88 season, if you look at conference finals, and we're talking series prices here, not game to game, just the series. Favorites are 50 and 14. 50 and 14. And prior to Toronto's upset over Milwaukee, the favorite in the East had won, as far as the Eastern Conference Finals, eight consecutive years. I think it was LeBron James eight consecutive years. Cavs four years. Miami Heat four years. On the other side, it's even more dominant for the favorite in the West. Last 21 years, the West favorite, the series favorite in the Western Conference Finals, 20 and one. Very chalky this time of the year. Flip, go ahead. Fence. Little housekeeping item. So I, I had a quick one day road trip. So uh, while I was gone and out of state, so I couldn't bet. I texted Brad. Said I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be out of state, but I hear that <laughs> I hear Golden State that that there's a fire sale on Golden State to win the West, and at one book you could bet minus four hundred. And then of course um, we uh, crossed. Um, uh, we never got in, in touch with each other. So I said to myself, Well, I know that that one's gonna win. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When you don't get down, of course. And I apologize that. Uh, Believe it or not, and here's the little pull behind the curtain. I'm not easy to get a hold of after a certain time at night, like eight, nine o'clock. It's just like, nope, I'm not looking at my phone. I, I, I know, I get it. We live in a world where you know you got to be by your phone twenty four seven. I mean, I just, I don't believe in being on call. I'm not a doctor. I didn't, I didn't take the extra ten years of school to be on call all the time. Sometimes you just can't get a hold of me. You know, and I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm always on call. Um, wow, but, but never, but will never call me. I don't answer my phone. Whatever you do, do not leave me a voice message. I will not get back to you. Do not send me an email. I'll check it like twice. I'll, I'll, I'll check it twice during the day, you know, middle of the day and end of the day. And then, of course, you know, right before and after the show. But um, texting, I've just become, I'm a millennial when it comes to texting. I mean, I've got it like attached to my hip. It's rare if you text me that I'm not going to get back to you like within like 30 seconds. Sleepy, is Daryl there? Yeah, I'm here all day. How man. are you like, Daryl, when it comes to communication? Daryl, uh, recently new to Vegas, one of our producers. How are you like when it comes to getting a hold of? I tell you, man, I try my best to be there by the phone. I am not on call like a doctor, but the thing is, with my people being on the East Coast, I'm getting a lot of phone calls at weird hours. Then. I bet. Yeah, yeah. So, like, five in the morning, I'm getting a phone call because it's eight o'clock. So they yep. figure, oh, it's eight o'clock. No, it's not. It's five. And then the sun is so bright out here first thing in the morning. So it's like, I'm at five in the morning. So it's like, ah, I have to get some blackout <laughs> curtains. But yeah, I almost took us somewhere else. And Sleepy, how are you? Are you one of these guys that I can get a hold of at midnight? You can get a hold of me 24 hours a day. Wow. Sleepy doesn't sleep. Sleepy doesn't sleep. Sleepy, uh, yeah. sleepy and I, we do, we do not 
ever talk on the phone, but we'll we'll text each other what three times a week, sleepy four times. Yeah. Oh yeah. Moving along, speaking of series prices, and, and as we transition more to this series, the NBA Finals, uh, as we're taping this on Wednesday, Game 1 is in Toronto, and Toronto, a small favorite, one-point favorite over Golden State Game 1 that goes on Thursday. Chalky, when it comes to the NBA Finals as well, 26-8, and eight, the series favorite. So I, I just told you 50-14 and 14 Conference Finals, 26-8, and eight series uh as far as the favorite so i i think i mentioned this cream rises the, the crop when it comes to the, the nba finals let's talk series prices right now golden state what right around minus 280 fez 280 take back what plus 240 take back i thought someone told you no, i don't want to hear take back that's, that's <laughs> totally inside joke inside joke fez. so minus 280 what is that you know, because some people, I, I mean, I, gu- I guarantee you uh, a lot of the Joes out there, we call them Freddy Fanny Pack that, that's walking down Fremont Street eating a corn dog, deep fried, what, Twinkie on a stick? Or, you know, some people corn dogs. Minus 280, what's that imply? Golden State with right around a 70% chance to win? 72.2%. The way I get at that is that I'll take the what we call the no vig line. So if it's minus 280, uh, take back plus 240. If, the, if a sports book offered this at Novig, and by the way, I hear there's a brand new sports book that's opening up a Circa on Saturday at the Golden Gate downtown. And the reason I bring this up is they have a promotion on Saturday. Haven't seen this in years. It's Novig Saturday for opening day. You can bet once and once only on every single baseball game on the board and there will be no vig so they'll be Wait, off- every single game or just one game every single game you can bet once so they'll have like their line on a baseball game at the golden gate on saturday it will be minus 140 take back plus 140 you can only bet one side you can only bet once per person what's the the limits not disclosed we we will see. will you be down there we will see i expect to be you, down you there. have to be down there right they don't have an app up right that's correct they will have an app is my understanding but obviously no one has, has signed up for it. Just to get back to answering the question, so in the minus 260 plus 260, no VIG line on this series, if I take 260 divided by 360, that's the way to get the percentage chance that the market is saying that Golden State will win, and that's 72.2%. I think one of the big stories, and obviously it's new to Golden State, who's making their fifth straight trip to, to the finals, Golden State's had home court advantage each of the previous four years. And Fez, you did a lot of research as far as how much really is home court worth since this is a unique time where, you know, actually Golden State's an underdog in in game one of the series. How much is home court worth? You did a lot of math on this one. Break that down for me. So it turns out when there is a significant favorite, home court in a seven-game series is indeed worth about 100 cents. So I'm going to talk in terms of no vig lines again. So we talked about um, Toronto being a minus 260 on on a no vig line. So if Toronto um, had been without home court, so if Golden State had been the team with the home court, then that minus 260 Golden State being favorite would, would have gone up to like around minus 360, so worth about 100 cents when there's a prohibitive favorite. But as it turns out, now, and oftentimes we've we've been talking about how much is home court worth, and we've been saying it's about 100 cents. Well, it turns out that's really about what the average series is, because let's face it, most of these series... And that's flipping home and away 100 cents. Yes, correct. So if we take a look at two equally matched teams, I actually crunched the numbers on, on them, and I was surprised that home court there goes down. The worth of home court 
is um, is much smaller. It's worth just actually a little less than 50 cents. So if I have two evenly matched teams, whoever has home court in Game 7 should be on a no-vig line, minus 125, take back plus 125 on the underdog. Now think about this. It's like that seems awfully small until you think about it. Well, the only time the home court matters is if there's a game seven. So if there's a game seven, well, the, the, the home team would be about, about minus 165, right? So less than half of the series are going to go seven games. So it makes sense that if I get to minus 165, I got to take back more than half of that because of the fact that if the series goes less than seven games, home court did not factor into who wound up winning the series. Thus, um, not surprising that we get a no big line of minus 125, two equal teams in a seven-game series. Any value? Series price? Current number? When I calculated it, I, here's the assumptions I used. You tell me. I assume Toronto would be pick them in their home games. You're win, close. Win 50% of the time. Yep. I assumed Golden State would win 75% of their home games. I think that's fair. Based upon those assumptions, I come up with a no big line of Golden State minus 260. Mm. Um, excuse me, minus 265. Minus okay. 265. So I, because it falls in that corridor, that dastardly bookie taking that VIG, if you bet Golden State, you can lay minus 280. If you go ahead and bet on Toronto, you get plus 240. And to have a good bet, I'd have to either find Toronto at plus 266 or Golden State at minus 264. Neither are available to answer the question. No value. What do you think? I know you're... And I'll give you the data here because I think it's one of the biggest storylines of the series, that being Kevin Durant, who's out for game one. And we'll see if he's out for multiple games in the series. Is that, do you think the market's accounting for him playing at all in the series, or is that current minus 280 with Kevin Durant out? I think that the market feels that there is a significant chance that he could come back, but the feeling is that. He probably won't be 100%. And if he's not 100%, it really isn't going to be an upgrade for Durant to come back. So think about that, guys. Kevin Durant, who I think almost anybody considers to be at minimum a top five player in the NBA, regardless of position. And yet, really, now the market's finally coming around to it, I think, that he's really not worth anything to Golden State. Maybe to another any other team in the NBA, at least five points, I would say, maybe even six points. But to the Golden State Warriors, zero points, and now you're saying the market's kind of almost reflecting that? Yes. and Especially at less than 100%, Kevin Durant. Correct. And, and a skepticism that this is possibly a big smoke screen that the Golden State may well know that he... I don't know. I don't know the answer. Fez MD. What does Fez MD say? Fez... <laughs> FezMD went ahead and looked up calf strain. So a grade one calf strain puts you out seven to 10 days. He's been out a lot longer than that. He does not have a grade one calf strain. I didn't read anything about a grade 1.75 calf strain. <laughs> the the uh, literature says it goes to grade twos. If you've got a grade two calf strain, you're out four to six weeks. Four, a four-week uh, timetable since he went out May 8th would put him back game three or game four. But that's the optimistic side of a grade two strain. And he, for all we know, he could have a grade three strain where you're supposed to be out for three months. Uh, bottom line is um, the only optimism I have for Kevin Durant is the fact that he did indeed make the decision to fly with the team to game one to Toronto. I do think that's positive. I'm going to bring in Daryl again here because he follows the NBA quite a bit. What are the chances of Kevin Durant? We've seen the last game he's played 
uh, at, at Golden State. Do you think that's greater than 50%? Yeah, I think it's way higher than 50, man. What would you put it at? <sighs> wow, probably about 83, 85. Get, someone give me the button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, remember, Daryl, when you're talking, the difference between the hot takes all across the country is they're not betting. I mean, I think what what uh, on Undisputed, Skip and Shannon Sharp do a little what? Mountain Dews, I think, cases of Mountain Dews. Mm. But here in Vegas, we have a little button called the green button. That means you got a hot take like that, cold hard cash. Do you want to bet? Are you that strong about it? Oh uh, no, nah, man! I like my money, bro. I'm not going to bet. <laughs> so he's backing him. down. Are, I like y'all that. Y'all are pros, man. I'm not All going right. against the pros. Backing down from that one. That is producer Daryl. RJ had a good point here, as far as Kevin Durant. I think if he doesn't play at all. And let's see, Golden State wins in six and wins this whole this last couple of rounds plus uh, plus a game in a, a game in a quarter against Houston or was that two games, game in a quarter, game in a quarter, yeah, uh, against Houston and they win a title without Kevin Durant. I mean, I cannot think of a player going down to injury that loses more from you know what, what his reputation is. He's gonna have to he's gonna have to go somewhere else and win a title for us to consider him among. I mean, even close to the Mount Rushmore when it comes to the NBA. Do you agree with this? I, I agree, and he almost cannot return, right? Think about this, because imagine the epic debacle if he came back next year and somehow Golden State lost with him. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, they'd have at least two titles with him. Ah, oh, man, I'm struggling. I guess this is all going up to a crescendo of the numbers that we've been reporting the last couple of weeks, and we were one of the first with this. It's remarkable. And this is in the Kevin Durant era at Golden State. So this is a three-year sample size here. I'll start off with the obvious. Both Steph Curry and Kevin Durant play. The Warriors win about 78% of the time. That's straight up, 78%. Not a good bet, though. Less than 48% if you're blindly betting on the Warriors the last three years when Steph and KD play, uh, you're losing money. So Steph's out. Durant plays. How do the Warriors do? Actually, not really good at all. 61% is all they win, 28 and 18. Covering, they don't cover. 39% against the spread. That's Curry's out, KD plays, Golden State era here. 39% against the spread. Not good. Coming just, up, just saw one of those subsets of that sample size in the first meeting between these two teams, right? Where Curry sat in Toronto, Toronto picking up the win against Golden State. However, Golden State did cover that game, and they did it without Curry and without Draymond Green. And that line said Curry's worth a lot, and obviously Draymond uh, on that one. What was the Golden State was getting like nine points? That's unbelievable. That was the biggest underdog role uh, Golden State's been in all season. So finally, we're building it up here. And this is what we've seen from Golden State, at least recently. Durant's out, Steph plays. Golden State, 34-4. and In fact, it's even better. You take out the first six games, 31-1. and That's what the Warriors are the last 32 games that Steph plays and KD is out. So put that in an NFL perspective, just because 32 goes into 16 nicely. Imagine if you had a quarterback and he goes 16-0 and and 15-1. and wouldn't be much debate whether or not he was the um, the reason why a team was winning, right? Yeah, Joe Montana gets hurt, uh, and they're winning. It's the 49ers in the 80s. Joe Montana gets hurt. Steve Young comes in next two years. Steve Young's 15-1 and 16-0. and 
And we'd be like, I don't know. I mean, I don't think Joe Montana might not be the greatest quarterback of all time if that was the case. Against the spread, uh, I mean, in, in those games, Golden State's covering 63%. So way better than even Golden State with both playing is when KD's out. And just to say, you know, random sample size, I mean, we're talking 38 games here. And that's half a season. And even if you doubled up the losses for Golden State, it still would be better than how they perform when both of those guys play. Mm, I don't. Have you ever seen this? Never. I just, it almost boggles my mind. The only thing I can think of is Kyrie for Boston, mm. right? That Boston would, did indeed play better. I think they're 12 and three, right? Without Kyrie. This year. Uh, they were 12 and three without Kyrie. And then we also saw the run that Boston had in the playoffs last year without Kyrie. And when Kyrie was in there, for whatever reason, it wasn't working. That's a good example, Fez. That's Steve Fezzik, NBA expert. I'm Brad Powers. Let so, me ask you a question here, Brad. Um, and what's your Twitter, by the way? Wow. What, what's with all these promotions? At Brad Power 7, the Mysterious 7. I mean, did you get, are you going to get paid by Circa and Derek Stevens for that little thing? <laughs> yeah. See how this is. I'm getting to the, I mean, dirtiest player in the game. You know, mm. you know, about 11 years ago, the uh, station casinos had a no vig football. I believe it was a Friday. And how long did that last? It lasted one day. And there's still, <laughs> there's still theories about why they did that, whether there was like some kind of incentive to get volume into the book, but there was a whole lot of action being taken. A lot of action. A lot, a lot of action. Of action. Um, let me ask you this question about over um, or rather reaction. To, you, you mentioned all those numbers. They've been making the rounds about how good Golden State is with Curry. And it seems like the uh, public and the betters have become well aware of it. Let me give an example. Let me ask the question. Who's better, Houston or Toronto? I would say Houston slightly in the playoffs. A regular season power rating, maybe Toronto slightly better. Uh, playoff power rating, Houston maybe one point better. I agree. So let's go back to game six in Houston. Golden State, they had Curry. They were at Houston. What was the spread in that game? Houston was laying seven, seven and a half. Correct. Now, <laughs> Golden State again is on the road. They're at Toronto. What's the spread in this game? Toronto's laying one. So it looks like the um, the betters have <laughs> they have come come aboard the thought of Golden State being an elite team with Curry and without Durant in just the past six games, right? Yeah, I think there was probably an extra point or so with it being so must win for, for Houston that role. But sure. I know people are going to say it's the NBA Finals for Pete's sakes. How can not? I mean, all these games should be must win at this point. Yeah, there, there seems to be that, that significant upgrade. Although, I got to tell you, again, going back to Freddie Fanny Pack, <laughs> even I am maybe a little bit square. Just seeing Golden State an underdog role against a, a team like Toronto just seems cheap to me, does it not? It's hard to go against a team that's won 31 of the last, thir- a player that's won 31 of his last 32 games, Curry, when he plays without Durant. And it's hard to go against the trend you've got them in front of you, right? For game one, um, how well Golden State has done and how poorly Toronto has done in game ones of series. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk game one right now. And then we'll talk, you know, big overall factors in the series. But yeah, you're right, Fez. Golden State game one of the playoff series. So this is just game one. Steve Kerr era, 18-1. 
straight up. So they're 18 and one to the current number that they're because they're getting points. I know some of you are going to say, but, but, but Brad, all those games are at home. You're right. Only one of those 19 games was on the road. That was against Houston last year. Golden State won and covered that one. So Golden State elite game one, 18 and one. Toronto, not elite in game one. Playoff for them. Uh, and this is going back, uh, you know, 10 years or so. Game one of a series for Toronto, two and 12 straight up. Two and 12 against the number. Coming up short, nine points per game compared to expectations. So Golden State really good. Toronto really bad in game one. But here's another factor, and this is actually pro Toronto. Game one, home teams has been good for the NBA Finals. Last 16, home teams 14 and two straight up, 13 and three against the spread. Not too shabby there. I don't know. I mean, I like trends. I don't know if I can really break a lot of these down and say, hey, that one really makes a lot of sense. But let's go to overall factors here. I have Toronto's past here, and they've even lost what? They've lost a game, started off this playoff year, losing game one to Orlando, I remember. And it was almost like that, uh-oh, here we go again. Baby dinosaurs. Didn't start the Milwaukee series strong. Talk to me about you know factors for you, number, overall factors in the series. What's one of them for you, Fess? I think a key factor is how are all of Toronto's role players going to handle being in the spotlight of the NBA Finals? So we, we know Kawhi Leonard is an absolute superstar. You can make the case right now he's the best player in the game. He just outplayed the MVP after all. And the fact he can do it on both sides of the court, offense and defense. Now the question is, can the role players, and I call everybody else a role player, basically. <laughs> yeah. Apologies to Lowry, who's a multiple all-star. Siakam, most improved player. Um, Van Vliet coming off the bench, who was just great the last three games. And obviously, Gasol has been a nice addition. And um, Danny Green has basically not been a no-show throughout the playoffs. But one thing about these guys, so often we talk about lack of playoff experience can kill you. You know, it's a little surprising Toronto does have some nice uh, finals playoff experience. Kawhi Leonard has played 12 games in the finals. Danny Green has played 12 games in the finals. Serge has played in the finals. And uh, even Patrick McGaugh, who hasn't even been coming, playing off the bench, has some experience. So here is a squad that does have four players with finals experience. So it's not like this is a completely green team like Milwaukee was. And certainly you could argue, well, and when he was, was betting on Toronto to win championships in prior years, can tell you they're certainly been there in the playoffs they just flamed out in the playoffs yeah and certainly Kawhi makes a big difference when you got maybe the best player in the world right now and he's got those finals experience although just thinking about it they really haven't this is the first time they've been at maybe what we perceive to be a disadvantage when it comes to playoff experience round one what Orlando's young team no hardly any playoff experience that was round one for Toronto and then you got round two. Philly had the play, big time playoff disappointment last year against Boston coming up short. So really, Toronto wasn't at a disadvantage there. And then you had Milwaukee, who coming into this year hadn't won a playoff series in what, 15 plus years. And even though you mentioned that they have playoff experience more than what we thought, I still think it's a major disadvantage when you got the Warriors that have been there, done that now for five consecutive years. And most of those guys' playoff experiences. That was five, six, you know, four or five years ago for them. So I don't I, I guess what I'm getting to is, can we really trust the Toronto sporting cast? 
because they were struggling 14, 15 games into the playoffs, and they've just had a really good last two, three games. I think I personally trust the bigger sample size compared to what we've seen just in the last couple of games. Yeah, it's a great point. No one on their team has been to an NBA final since back to 2014, so it has been five years. And that bench, which was quite good during the regular season, most of the playoffs, it was terrible. Um, and frankly, all the bench players had all their minutes cut, so they only have three guys, Toronto does, coming off the bench. Now, those three guys are surging. Uh, we talked about Van Vliet, Ibaka, and Paola are all playing fantastic basketball. So um, very short bench, but that's okay. You get lots of days off as long as those guys play effectively. It'll be interesting to see who's going to get the edge in the bench just um uh, going into the playoffs, we would have said, well, anyone's going to have the edge against Golden State. But uh, since Durant has gone down, that Golden State bench has suddenly become a very deep bench, which we never would have expected against Houston. We we're talking about, oh, gosh, you know, we're, we're playing, you know, Curry and Thompson and Durant and everyone's playing 45 minutes and these guys are going to run out of gas. And now Durant goes down. That should hurt the bench, right? Now we got a one more bench guy that has to start. We got to move in. We got to go ahead and move Looney into the starting five or whatever. But all these other guys, Jerebko, uh, Livingston, etc. Golden State against Portland, they played seven or eight bench guys, significant minutes in most of the games. Four or five of the guys got three plus points, so they were not just on the court, but making um, you know the scoring, um, helping the team win. And it wasn't like these games were laughers. Portland uh, was up fifteen points or more in the second half, games two, three, four. It was that bench for Golden State that was very effective, and part of that. I think it's the joy of playing with Stefan Curry. You know, just the fact that the ball moves around so rapidly. Stefan? Steph. Playing with Steph Curry. What, is, were you a Family Matters fan? I was. I was when thinking, Steve Urkel became Stefan? <laughs> <laughs> since, I, since I started called, calling, calling Lillard Dame, you know, yeah, I'm looking, or, I'm looking to, to, to change everyone's name. Street cred. Exactly. Yeah, so ever since Daryl showed up, that's all you worry about. Fizz is my man. <laughs> so, um, Daryl, let me ask you, the uh, this Golden State bench, this resurgence, is a lot of that just because they're playing free and easy against a Portland team? Do you think they're going to tighten up here in the finals? So you think we're going to still see all these minutes from these guys even in the finals? I think we're going to see some minutes from them because um, think about it. You're going to need someone to shoot that ball, man. You don't have that beast in Kevin Durant out there right now. So other players are be able to get the ball and be able to show a little bit of something. So that's what you got in that last series. And I think you'll get that during this series also. Yeah, I'm anxious to see how Steve Kerr plays it because, I mean, he's obviously not afraid. I mean, we talked about in the Houston series, he went to the death lineup. That's when KD was healthy, and that was the Hampton Five. With Iguodala. Yeah, and they were playing more minutes than they had ever had before in any previous playoff in the last couple of years. And then almost like he flipped the script and was only playing you know seven guys or whatever in the Houston series and then flipped the script in the Portland series. So I think the reality is going to be a little bit in between. I don't expect seven, eight guys for Golden State to be playing off the bench, but but who knows? Kerr and RJ kind of made made this emphasis this is a week or so ago that you know all the analytics guys are saying maybe Steve Kerr's not getting his enough credit that he should. Yes, he's got the most talented roster, but some of these adjustments that that he's making and some of the analytics, like how they were forcing uh, James Harden to, to go a specific way, going left and whatnot, is stuff that that no one else in the NBA is doing. You know, one other thing, and I think it's a big point, and Mackie, I'll give credit for this one, 
because I it's one that I had at least you know coming into the series because Golden State's been off what nine days and Toronto's only had four days rest. I mean, when you got a team coming off a sweep versus a team off a seven game series, no surprise in the finals since oh two. Uh, 2002 teams with five or more days rest against teams with less than five days rest. And this is a big gap here. We're talking five total days comparison. The team with five or more days rest three and zero straight up three and zero against the spread. So small sample size, but nonetheless, not surprising. The more rested team wins and covers overall playoffs. If you need a bigger sample size, Teams with five plus days of rest against teams with less than five days straight up. Those teams with extra rest, 71% against the spread, 62%, 21 and 13. Not too shabby there. Although I really like what Mackey did here. Uh, a lot of those times, those teams are going to be at home because they're just a superior team. Makes sense. They got quick work in the previous series. The other team struggled. Road teams since 02 in the playoffs. That when they have the major rest advantage, that is the case here. Golden State's on the road with a rest advantage, only four and five straight up and against the number. Mm. So there's some nuggets. I and thought that was good work by Mackey. I hadn't seen that nowhere else. Very good. And of course, Toronto getting to play game six at home and then getting to stay at home, not having to go back through customs. That's um, yeah, maybe mitigates that that um, rest factor. And let's face it, five days off, I think um, I'd much rather have a team that has seven days off versus a team that had two days off than a nine versus a five. Wrapping it up here, and again, this is Dream Preview. Brad Powers filling in for RJ, Steve Fezzik. We got Daryl in the house. Sleepy's in the house as well behind the controls. Draymond Green. It's been playing arguably his best ball of the year. What have you seen from Draymond? All right, well, so let's go back last year. So Draymond, every year he's part of the big four and he does the dirty work. He gets the rebounds. He's a great defender, second team, um, all NBA defender. And um, he averages double digits, low double digits. And he's the, he's the weak link of the big four, but he's still in the big four. And then this year we're like, why is he in the big four? He don't matter because Draymond was struggling so much. He got out of shape. He had a toe injury that took a long time to heal. And he was averaging uh, during the regular season, 7.3 rebounds, 7.3 points. So numbers way down over the course of um, his career. And, you know, Sleep even did some research on this and found triple doubles for Draymond. Bagel, none, zero during the regular season. So what happens is general manager for Golden State actually has a talk with them. And Draymond's like, uh, talk about his conditioning. And Draymond's like, I got this. My toes, my, my toes better now. I got this handled. So Draymond, and we talked about this, Brad. I'm like, what happened to Draymond Green? He looks like, you know, remember when Shaq lost all that weight for when he went yeah, to Phoenix for like a couple yep. weeks before it came back <laughs> yeah. on? But uh, Draymond looks ultra fit and he looks light on his feet. And all of a sudden, Draymond is um and and every week he's looking fitter. So he starts out in the playoffs. And it's almost like, oh yeah, the playoffs he get, gets more minutes, so he should score a little bit more. He's averaging like ten and a half. And then the next series um against Houston, and he's averaging like twelve and a half points. And then against Portland, he's averaging sixteen and a half points. The offense is going through him. Now I know Durant's out, pick and roll with Curry looks unstoppable, getting blocks on the defensive end, playing great D, getting the rebounds, gets a triple double. He's even distributing the ball to everyone back-to-back games after not having done that during the regular season the entire year. So I think a little under the radar in terms of Golden State getting better here during the playoffs and against Portland is the tremendous 
tremendous improved play of Draymond Green versus during the regular season. Who's guarding Kawhi? Is it Draymond or Iggy? A little bit of both, I think. I think you're going to you, you, – bottom line is they're going to throw everybody at him. And uh, because of that, um, you know, Iguodala used to be the better defender. Yep. Um, now he's gone on an age. I think we're going to see some trim. I think we're going to see some Clay Thompson on him also. Clay's an excellent defender. So I think they'll throw, they'll throw three guys at him. And, and that's one thing the Warriors don't get enough credit for. Uh, I mean, in this run, uh, Splash Brothers, three-point shots, you got KD, you got Steph. I don't think, and Steph's not, I mean, below average when it comes to defensive, but everyone else, I mean, is superb. Clay Thompson's one of the best defending guards, if not the best. Uh, Iguodala was on at least early, earlier in his career, four or five years ago, was an all NBA first team type of player. And Draymond, I think the last five years, he's either been first or second team all NBA defense. So that's one thing the Warriors don't get enough credit Real quickly here, and then I'll ask you what your final take. And again, dream preview. We're taping this on Wednesday prior to game one that does tip on Thursday. Uh, The two teams met earlier this year twice. I'm not sure what you can get from those. Uh, Starting with the first meeting, November, at the end of November, Toronto won in overtime. Didn't cover the spread. Believe it or not, Toronto was laying nine and a half points. Biggest underdog role for the Warriors all season. Why I don't think you can take too much from that. No Steph, we mentioned this earlier, no Draymond for the Warriors. So I don't know what that data sample does for you. And then in the other one, and I thought this was, uh, do you have something fast? Well, just, I actually went back and rewatched that game. The fourth quarter Are you and the overtime, me? it was, it was just on. It was one of those. Oh. And what was, what was your eye test, Fez? My eye test was that Toronto won the game twice. They basically outplayed Golden State and had it won. And then Durant hit a three, you know, with final of threes, right? Yeah. Like, the final yeah. second. So it was kind of like, it was a little bit misleading to say, Hey, they won in overtime because they really should have won in regulation. And then they won the overtime on top of it. So I think one of those cases where if you just looked at that final score, oh, only an overtime win with the with two of the big. But they guys. were laying almost doubles. And um, and remember, that's true. Remember, Draymond being out didn't matter back then because Draymond wasn't any good back then. Fair enough. That's Steve Fezzik. Other game now. This is kind of more. And here's what I took from that one. And we'll see if Fez caught any of the action of this one. Toronto won by 20 at Golden State. Now, Golden State this year, I think, had like five-plus home losses of 20 or more. They had a bunch of these random just no-shows. Everyone played for Golden State, but Toronto won that game by 20 on the road without Kawhi. And what I did see in that that I found peculiar, Steph only had 10 points in 33 minutes. Out of all the games this season that Steph played, it was the only game where he scored 10 or fewer points while playing 30 or more minutes. I don't know what, you know, major takeaway from that one, but that might be maybe a concern, especially considering Toronto did that without Kawhi. Did you catch that one, Fess? I did not catch it, but I will say this. Both those games were like in 2018. So they were in November and then December. Agree. So it is problematic that you got a Golden State team. Well, what's how do we handicap Golden State? Are they motivated? Well, if ever there was a case that they should have been motivated after losing an overtime at Toronto, they should have said it's time to take care of business against this wounded Raptors squad. And yet, and they get blown out at home. That's uh, that's a little troubling. Long time ago, though. Long time ago. Any other closing thoughts on the series? 
you know, I'd like to say, hey, I, I think Toronto has outstanding value or I really I really like Golden State. You know, bottom line, this series price is right where I made it. All right. That was a good 45 minutes on the series. NBA Finals. Uh, I'm going to go to this early. Dave Asler has a best bet as far as game one goes uh, for Dave Esler. Do we have that where we could listen to it? Let's go ahead and take a listen to Dave. Let's keep our dream pod streak intact here. I said last week, both here and with Sleepy, Toronto was a bad matchup for the Bucks. Bucks are simply a poor man's warriors with less shooters and less defense, but maybe similarities offensively. So why would I think Toronto can't slow down Golden State at home? I don't. Toronto's sixth in points per game allowed, fourth in three-point defense, Toronto won both meetings this season as seven and a half and nine and a half point dogs. So maybe Toronto isn't a great matchup for the Warriors here. In 2014, Kawhi won finals MVP and stopped the heat from a three-peat. So this isn't virgin ground. I think being series underdogs in spite of home court advantage, the ultimate disrespect for the Raptors, I do think Rest means rust, at least early, for Golden State. I love Toronto for the first half a lot. All right, that's Uncle Dave. And uh, he had Toronto first half. Best bet for him. You know, makes some sense. Maybe some early rust for Golden State. Toronto's had success. Fez and I were just breaking that down against Golden State earlier this year. And let's face it, last three games of the Portland series, I know recency bias, but Golden State wasn't coming, (laughs) starting those games off with, with their hair on fire, down double digits, you know, three different times, down 15 plus in those games. So that's Dave Essler with a Toronto first half bet. This is RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Now back to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Moving along here, and Fez has a WNBA best bet at the end of it, and I have an NBA Finals MVP best bet at the end of the podcast. Shifting gears here, and we don't talk about this too much, Major League Baseball. You know how, how much we don't talk about it. We're about a third of the way, a third of the way through the season already. What about almost 50 games for most teams? Fez, you did. I got to give you credit. We stepped up your game this week. I have several pages of Major League Baseball notes for you. What are some of your main takeaways? And I might even lean on Sleepy a little bit here because if there's one of the major major sports that I do not actively handicap, it is Major League Baseball. Believe it or not, I'm doing college football right now. And I'll, I'm next week I'll have some college football bets for you guys. That's what I've been working on in the spring. What are some of the big stories when it comes to the first uh, third of the season? Home runs. The ball is flying out of the ballparks, and let's try to figure out why. So let me just give you the data first off. So 2019, the average team is hitting 1.32 home runs per game. Doesn't sound like that much, but last year, over the course of the entire year, Teams only hit 1.14, so there's been more home runs per game. And traditionally, April, May, home runs are down a little bit just because the weather's a little bit cooler. The ball doesn't travel as far. Scoring is up in MLB, 4.8 runs per game this year, 4.44 in prior years. Now, there is a theory that the ball is not the same this year Wait as, a second. as it was last year. All um, right. Let me give you some data. All right. All right. Well, first off, the eye, the eye test 
I don't watch that much baseball, but I can't tell you how many times when I'm watching baseball, I'll see the Pirates bell hit a 480-foot home run, and they'll be like, oh, that's that that ball went 35 feet more than any home run he's hit his entire career. And then I see Rizzo hit it off the D in the Budweiser sign, and all these tape measure shots. But that's all eyes, and we can't really trust our eyes. So I went ahead. Sports Illustrated uh, compared April data this year to last year. And they just looked at 100 mile per hour exit velocity hit off a batter's bat with an angle of 25 degrees. So basically they say, all right, a a well-struck ball into the outfield on the fly. In April 2018, 52.3% of those balls that fit that criteria went over the wall for home runs. In April 2019, this year, that 52.3% has gone up to 58.2%. Now again, weather. More weather so far this April, year? Weather's been lousy. All right. It's been one of the coolest um, springs. Like you look at the weather in Chicago, it's been horrendous. And anyone who's trying to bet overs in Wrigley Field. So I would argue Colorado, very cool color, you know, um, weather in Colorado. Cool here. So West Coast teams, it's been historically cold. Yeah. So the there, California teams. There's been some snow in the Midwest in April. I mean, it has not been a, um, a, certainly it has not gotten warmer this year than it has in prior years. Now you got to ask yourself, well, it's still only one month of data, but basically same launch angle, same uh, speed. Uh, 58% are going over the wall versus 52%. I know Sleepy watches a lot of baseball. Sleepy, what do you think about um, that maybe the ball is not quite the same? Yeah, Fez, I feel uh, I feel pretty confident that there's definitely something going on. You know, in years past, I was always skeptical playing overs. This year, Fez, I could honestly tell you, I am not scared to bet an over on any given day. It does not matter. I could take multiple overs in a day, and I feel actually pretty comfortable taking them now. Now, are you feeling the same way, Fess? I I am. I, I, for the first time, I'm an under better more than an over better. But I I got to tell you too. I was like, I look at like some of these grand salamis that are offered, like total runs that are going to get scored on any one day, and it seems like it either goes under by like four or five runs or over by like forty. But you, you you're seeing scores like literally that you would never have seen before, like like nineteen to to eleven final scores and the like. You know, one thing that's interesting. So I talked about all this about. Oh, home runs are up. Runs are up. Well, interesting for like, seems like every year, strikeouts are up as well. How can that be? Strikeouts are good for unders, right? Well, I'm going to try to explain this. 2019, let me give you the data first. We've had 8.8 strikeouts per game. And we've seen an increase in strikeouts literally since 2010 on a continuous basis. So back in 2010, there are a little over seven strikeouts per game. Then it went up to In 2017, it was a little over 8. Last year, 8.6. This year, 8.8. Well, what is going on, Brad? I believe that the batters have recognized that the ball is livelier. And their launch angles have adjusted to be steeper. Because think about it. Now, if I hit a fly ball, it's not an out. It's a home run. A well-struck fly ball is a home run. Well, when you have a bigger launch angle, you're going to miss the ball completely more, but you're going to hit more home runs. So what the bottom line is with more strikeouts and more home runs and scoring increasing, I'm worried about the popularity of baseball. Because think about it, there just aren't that many balls in place. So the um, in terms of just sitting Feast around. Feast or famine, yep. 
Yeah, you you you're you're basically watching. It's it's. Remember when you used to watch like a slow pitch softball game, and the guys would either home run, yeah. you know, and there'd be and and there was no um you know taking the extra base and the dynamics uh, and the like. And I'm seeing less and less of that in baseball. So does MLB have a big problem with the current game? I would argue. For me, it's less exciting and that it's going to hurt interest in the game, especially amongst the millennials and the younger uh, crowd. Would you agree? I would. I'm going to have to look up some data and see real quick. And and I'll get this because I know you got a couple more uh, points when it comes to the baseball. I'll look at some of the TV ratings. Now, obviously, TV ratings are down. I mean, almost... All across. I mean, you just got more options when it comes to you know to what you can watch, whether it be Netflix or anything online. Uh, well, let me talk about attendance while you look that up, then, yep. because um, you know one other topic I wanted to talk. And, and by the way, I don't have the answers for the baseball, like 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 in terms of the manufacturing of the baseballs and how could it possibly be that the ball can travel further. I do not have the answers. So these are just theories I'm throwing out. The data I was able to collect associated with that, and. Um, Maybe it's possible that the hitters are just hitting better. Maybe it's a small sample of two months. We will see at the end of the year. But um, so far, home runs and uh, run scoring most certainly has gone up. And one thing for sure, um, I want to talk some the big free agent signings during the offseason. Attendance is up in the uh, the cities that had the big free agent signings. So we're talking about San Diego. They get Manny Machado. We're talking about Philadelphia. They get Bryce Harper, obviously. Let me go ahead. Now, both teams are exceeding expectations. The Padres were supposed to win about 79 games. They're a little over 500. The Phillies are in first place. They were supposed to win 88 games. They were supposed to contend. Uh, the Phillies are 10 games over 500. They're in first place. So, obviously, winning helps attendance. And uh, certainly, I think the excitement associated with bringing these players on board has helped as well. Here are the numbers. San Diego attendance has gone from just under 27,000 to a little over 29,000. So a nice bump up in the Gaslight District, people going and watching baseball more in San Diego. Now in Philadelphia, tremendous increase in attendance, almost just under 10,000 people more per game are going. Are you finding value betting on these teams at home? So I have not run the numbers. On these, it would be a little biased because Philly's, like I said, it's 10 games over 500. So yeah. there's probably value across the board, you know, with them. But, uh, yeah, it's a good call that probably looking at their home field advantage that you want to go ahead and bump it. Um, certainly the crowd is more excited. I would make the case, I think maybe the other players are excited to think about management sending a message to them. We're willing to spend to try to bring. Um, a winner to our city and that sends a message to everyone i think that uh, management is convinced committed to winning think about what it must be like to play for the the marlins for instance or a team you know the, the that just doesn't go ahead and uh, spend any money on their players but now what's interesting about all this with the attendance success and with both teams winning the free agents they've underperformed let me give you the numbers here so machado nine home runs 27 rbis he's hitting 266 he has a wins after replacement a useful stat how how many more wins has san diego gotten with him than if they just had plugged in your average replacement um guy and uh infielder and manny has brought 1.3 extra wins so far uh that doesn't even put him in the top 100 of position players it's even worse for bryce harper Harper also has nine home runs. He has knocked in 36, but he's only hitting 232. And his wins after replacement are right around one half. So uh, Harper has contributed an extra half win 
to the Phillies, despite... Uh, and we the, thought both guys were th- worth three or more. At least that's what the market said, right? When they signed them. Um, yeah, now, now th- th- this is only through this this part of the year. That's a great point. So uh, we have to multiply the years about a third over. So we'd have to multiply these numbers by three. But so Harper's really only going to be worth one and a half wins if things like if his current year continues. So um, success for the Phillies, but it's not Harper's doing. I got homework for you, Fez. Love it. And you can follow Fezzik on Twitter at Fezzik Sports. That's F-E-Z-Z-I-K Sports. I want to know how these teams are doing at home. San Diego and Philly. You have the, the attendance is way up. And so far, the teams are exceeding. I want to see if there's any correlation at home. You got it. All right. Follow Fez. You'll get that tweet out here in the next 24 hours or so. Again, that's at Fezzik Sports on Twitter. Moving along here, that was a little bit of baseball thoughts. Let's talk, and this is the first time we brought up this guy, and we brought him up for the first time also on our Straight Out of Vegas show where you can listen Monday through Friday, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 to 4 Pacific on Fox Radio. It's also available Sirius XM. We finally got into this Jeopardy guy, James Holtzauer, who is, I, I he wasn't known before this, and we'll get into that, who... Uh, from all accounts, from what we're reading, is a sports better. So James now up to $2.25 million one in just 29 days. $2.25 million. James is averaging more right now through 29 games than what the record was for a single game. Now so, freeze it. Hold on. Say that again. Yeah. So, and I I wasn't saying it right. So right now, James Holtzauer is his name, is averaging more than $77,000 per show. The record in 35 plus years of Jeopardy, the single day record on Jeopardy was 77000 by any player. That was the record. I think uh, Ken Jennings had a $75,000 win one time. He's the guy that won 74 consecutive times in a row. But think about that. James Holtzauer is averaging more than what the record was, single game record coming into this. He's doing a variety of ways. He's answering questions correctly at an historic rate. 97% of the time when Holtzauer answers, he answers it correctly. That's three times more correct. Or he's getting three times uh, of the answers incorrect. Let me, let me think how I'm going to say this. Three times less than what Ken Jennings was. Jennings was getting about 9% of the time. The answer is wrong. James Holtzauer is only getting 3% of the time. The answer is incorrect. So think about that. They both answer 100 questions. Yeah. Jennings misses nine. Holtzauer only misses three. And it's like a sports bet because instead of winning the money, you lose that money. So very similar uh, to that. What, what's he doing, Fez? Break it down for me. How is he breaking these records? Okay, let me start out. You, you mentioned that he, he was not known at all. So you certainly um, wasn't known by the public at all, wasn't known by anyone who was betting in sports books, even amongst the pros who bet for a living. Remember, I never heard of Jeopardy James is a, a claims to be, and I have no reason not to believe it, a pro sports better. That's how he makes his living prior to becoming a professional Jeopardy contestant. Um, now, the people that did know him, I did some checking around, asked around. 
the bookmakers do know him. And this is actually refreshing because I can't tell you, Brad, how many times I hear people say they're a professional sports better and no one has heard <laughs> of him. Not one of the bookmakers in town. Well, they do know about him. Apparently, his specialty is live wagering, betting while the game's going on and adjusting. That makes a lot of sense to me because in many ways, that's what Jeopardy requires you to do is to make the right, the proper adjustments in game. And um, a lot of it is indeed basic strategy. And I'll make the case that Jeopardy James, as I like to call him, so I don't have to try to pronounce his last name or or spell it, is um, he is the king at rewriting the basic strategy book. And, And frankly, everything he does is obvious. And yet nobody did it. And and I'll I'll go back and say, we're in this day of analytics and math. And we say, oh, everything's been optimized. There's no, um, there's no new inventions, if you will. And these, everyone who's been playing Jeopardy is completely in the dark ages. Now I've said this for years. Example, final Jeopardy. Uh, first place guy is 10,000. Second place guy has 8,000. Third place guy is zero. First place guy is always going to bet $6,001. Always. No exceptions. He's going to lock out the second place guy. The second place guy with 8,000 has to realize this and should wager a very modest amount so that, well, if they both get the, question, the final Jeopardy question wrong, he'll win. But the, the second place guy rarely does that. Usually the second place guy just yeah. bets it all anyways. Yeah. Um, and so they can't get the final Jeopardy strategy, right? Which is obvious. And I even say like, oh, you know, sharp eighth grader can figure that out. But, but they get it wrong, even though they know the answers to all of this trivial and they're geniuses and I'm a dumbo. Yet the game theory aspect of it leaves them behind. Well, if they can't get final Jeopardy right, how in the world are they going to get the complicated, complex in-game Jeopardy right? And they, and they don't. And here's where they, they, they struggle and where Ken Jennings, frankly, struggled. Ken Jennings got 91% of the, um, the clues that he buzzed in correct. Now, when he does a daily double, he's not going to get 91% right because he has to answer. But he's, we would still expect he'd probably get maybe, I don't have the exact statistics. 80%. Yeah, way more than 60 yeah. that he'll get right. So Ken Jennings would be, like if he had like 15,000, like how much do you want to risk? He'll be like, oh, maybe 3,000, 4,000. Very conservative. Whereas Jeopardy James plays it like truly like an advantage player. He says, well, I can't risk it all because I'm risking losing the game. But I'm going to get this question right maybe 90% of the time. And because of that, I'm going to wager, especially earlier in the game, a substantial amount on my bankroll. So if he has 10000 like in the first round, he... Uh, He's going to wager like 8000 Yeah, exactly. He'll wager most of his bankroll and build try to build an insurmountable lead as quickly as possible. And frankly, we've never seen the game played like this before. But... You know, even from a game theory perspective, it makes so much sense. And I would argue, I watch Jeopardy enough. I'll see people in second place. They'll they'll have five thousand. The first place guy will have ten thousand. How much do you want to wager? And they'll go, oh, forty five hundred. They won't even wager enough to take the lead. You know, you're you're dead if you get this question wrong. Wager all of it. You know, and and, and people are so- why why isn't Steve Fezzik? You know, Steve Fezzik, MD, Steve Fezzik, Jeopardy expert, Steve Fezzik, only two time winner of the Super Contest. Why why didn't you? get on jeopardy because i don't know the answers to the questions or the, or the questions to the answers and obviously that's the skill set that's the number one skill set to winning at jeopardy is you got to be able to answer the questions and obviously jeopardy james can do that as well as anyone but there's a lot of other contestants that can do that very well what he has mastered is the buzzer also i would say the second most important thing is most of the questions the very best contestants are going to know the answer to so whoever can click that buzzer right when they stop vocalizing the end of the of the question gets buzzed in and can answer it. And that's an enormous edge. And apparently he practiced at home and, and spent hours and hours 
clicking right when the clue ended. And um, and then, of course, um, other aspects of his game are optimal as well. I love the fact that he plays super fast. He wants to get to every clue. He doesn't stall around at all. But if it and starts at the bottom. No one else. Everyone starts in one category, goes uh, you know, from the top, which is 200, down to the bottom of 1,000. That's if in the double jeopardy. Uh, he's different. He starts at the bottom and goes to the top and skips categories in case one of his contestants, you know, might actually know that specific category. Well, think about this. So I a sports legends of the eighties for 1000. Well, Ken Jennings says, says legends thousand, you know, yeah. so boom, he knew, he knows it's coming. You don't, you don't know which one of the six categories he knows. It's going to be Muhammad Ali or some, someone in that, in that genre, if you will. Did I pronounce that right? Very good. And then you don't know, you're thinking, okay, here comes sports legends. And you're thinking about, you know, Jimmy Connors and like, and yeah. then, and then he, he goes, Shakespeare, 1000, you know, and, and it, it throws you yeah. off for that split second where he's already thinking about Merchant of Venice or the mystery of Edwin Drood or whatever is going to come wow. up. And so boom, he is, he has that advantage. And also by surfing the bigger dollar amounts, he's more likely because the daily doubles are correlated towards the higher amounts for him to get the daily doubles. Think about it. How is he going to get beat? He's going to get beat by a contestant that can find a category that they're great at, run the category, and then get a daily double and go ahead and get all of it. That's how his lesser opponents are going to get within half of him because you've got to have an insurmountable lead going into Final Jeopardy. You got to, if your opponent has $10,000, you got to have $20,001 to have the victory secured. And so everything he does maximizes that chance. Now, his strategy, what's interesting, if I was playing against him, I would stall. I would go as slow as possible. I would have my Ah, I try to talk, you know, before. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I believe that I'll take the American Civil War. Hmm. Should I go four or six hundred? I guess I don't think they allow that. Fence. Yeah, but I, you, know, yeah. you know what I'm saying. I, I it, it, it would be like a, a, a poker tournament where you're trying to get into the money and you're on the bubble. So, uh, but none of his opponents have adjusted that way. But given he is superior to his opponents, all of his play, I see no holes whatsoever. Everything seems to be absolutely optimal. Maybe if I had one slight, not not even criticism, I think he overwagers slightly on his daily doubles and that makes sense that he's maximizing his earnings at a slight de- detriment of his probability of winning the game. So, And I'm fine with that. So in other words, he's going to make an extra $10,000 per game by wagering a little bit more maybe than he should on the daily doubles. And maybe his victory probability goes down in those games from 98% to 97.5. That's Steve Fezzik, Jeopardy expert, at least strategically. And again, uh, I think only he's had a run, James Holtzauer, He's won 29 times, and I think it's only come down to Final Jeopardy like twice, two or three times. So I think right now, since he's already superior, he knows the answers to the questions. He's answering correctly at a higher percentage than anybody in history, and he's playing the game differently than anybody in history. And really, optimally, he's playing the game. It's going to take, I mean, a fluke to beat him, wouldn't it? Basically, it's going to take him to get the final Jeopardy question wrong. Somebody's in the game. They have to get it right. He's got to get it wrong. That That is the the clearest path to defeat is that, remember, he's got to get double what his opponent, his number two guy has in order to um, continue his streak. Because if enough games occur, I saw the the answer in one in the last um, Jeopardy was what is SquarePants SpongeBob? SpongeBob SquarePants. There you go. I'd be out. So yeah. um, the... Yeah, I don't know if you would be. 
Hmm. They'd have to go to the judges. Yeah, that'd be that. That would be a close one. But so obviously, <laughs> you need to have knowledge across the board. The other path to his destruction, if you will, is it's always possible. I saw him playing against a much lesser opponent. I, I haven't been fo- watching this very often, but uh, she knew Shakespeare, so she she ran the Shakespeare category against him. So, um, and there was another category that was like outside furniture, and he didn't know what the other word for gazebo is out there, things like that, that um, were a little bit outside of his um, his overall knowledge. So if his, if the categories come um, in his wheelhouse, he's going to win almost all the time. And of course, there's got I refuse to believe that some pro sports better in Las Vegas is the smartest man in the world. There's got to be a guy in Idaho or a gal in Alabama that's smarter that just hasn't tried out for Jeopardy. And um, Smarter, but are they going to be smarter in how to play the game no no and these have been taped from my understanding weeks and weeks ago so it's not like somebody has nothing it's not like they're doing it in live time where somebody oh now i see a strategy let me get on jeopardy i mean you got to audition for this it's like a james has said this in a couple of interviews it took him several years to audition and stuff to get on the game it's a great point and if uh james faced you know james who had never been on jeopardy before Probably current James would be what, like a minus 225 favorite just from experience alone. Fair enough. That is Steve Fezzik. I am Brad Powers. Sleepy Jay in the house. Daryl, we have him. We got not one but two best bets coming up right after our only commercial break. Ah, our old friends at True Car. 60 seconds. That's exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you can do in about a minute? Mm, I can think of a few things. You can get an offer for your car with True Car. That's right. The amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups. I know I do. I need to do a few of those. Or just listen to my voice. You can get a True Cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or your home. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number. And watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions and you'll get an accurate true cash offer from a local true car certified dealer. It's that easy. After that, you can bring your car in and they'll check it out with you together. You can ask questions and get the answers you need. So there's no surprises whatsoever. Then you can simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a new ride. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, Check out True Car today. Moving along, we got a new, our friends here at Podcast One, we have a new podcast uh, that's coming up uh, this week. This is called the GG Podcast with Rick Fox, Jace Hall, and Todd Roy. So if you like Straight Out of Vegas, you're going to love the GG Podcast with Rick Fox, Jace Hall, and Todd Roy. That is on podcast one you can log on to see the world behind the esports esports fest getting bigger and bigger soon enough i think you'll be able to bet on esports so you can get the world behind esports you love and find out what good game really means from a trio who's taken the business by storm including the three-time nba champion behind the team echo fox download new episodes of the gg podcast every week on apple podcast and podcast one. All right. Back to the dream preview. Brad Powers filling in for RJ Bell. Steve Fezzik here. And I don't think we're missing anything, are we, Fez? Best bets. All right. Best bets. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. 
my mind. All right, Fez, go, Fez, go. WNBA action. WNBA, before I get to my pick, it's going to be the game's going to be Seattle at Atlanta. And Daryl, our new producer, is from the fine city of Hotlanta. Daryl, ever take in the Atlanta dream or follow the WNBA at all? Many times over, I had a vested interest on the team. Oh, a vested interest. Do you know what that is, Fez? That means we've wagered on the game, Daryl? Nah. False. <laughs> no. <laughs> Fez, he's, he has so much to learn. He has a lot to learn, but that's my man, though. Vested interest. So you don't like any of the WNBA players, Fez? Oh, I, Becky Hammond and I, before, you know, I don't, don't tell Van Vliet <laughs> and don't tell Jimmy G. <laughs> but before, before both of them, Becky Hammond when she was with the Silver Stars, loved Becky Hammond. You guys, did you know who I'm talking about? Because she, she's a coach for the uh, Spurs, obviously. Yeah. And that's what you meant by vested interest. Am I correct? Um, yeah. Fair enough. That some, is, legs on the, some legs on the court. How about that? There we go. Fair enough. That's Daryl. Give me your best bet. Best first. bet is the Atlanta Dream. Now, there's no line up on this game. It's Friday. Atlanta's hosting Seattle. I'm going to give you a buy price. So it's a best bet at minus six or less against the reigning WNBA champions, the Seattle Storm. Let me make my case for fading Seattle. Seattle, not nearly the team that they were last year. Obviously, if I'm picking against them when they're catching up to six points here, the MVP of the league last year, Brianna Stewart, played for Seattle. Well, she's an ambassador to the game. She's not even on the Seattle team anymore. She um, went ahead and blew out her leg, so she's out for a year. So um, she was critically important, obviously, being the MVP. Sue Bird also out there, point guard with a uh, knee injury. So they're down uh, two of their most important players. And all the stats say that the Seattle team is a shell of itself when neither one of those two uh, gals plays for the Seattle Storm. Also, it's a bad situational spot for Seattle. Very little... um, Uh, preseason play or practice for the WNBA. A lot of the best players are actually overseas playing in other leagues and the like. And so what happens is a lot of the players don't come in. um, They haven't played together and those practices are critical the first week. So the fact that Seattle, it's Wednesday night, Seattle's in Minnesota, they're playing the Lynx, and then they got to wheel back across the country or all the way across the country and go to Atlanta and play Friday night well, whereas Atlanta's had the whole week off. Big scheduling edge, especially this early in the year, for the Atlanta Dream now. Atlanta is without one of their best players, Angel. She's been um, a big part of the team really for the, like the past decade, but I don't have her worth nearly the amount of a Brianna Stewart. So uh, the play is the Atlanta Dream minus six is the buy price Friday night against Seattle. And Fez, WNBA, that is something you originate in last couple of years, your record WNBA. Yeah, record was uh, right around 67% the last two years in the WNBA, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this. I've been so wimpy in the WNBA. I've given out four leans so far in the WNBA. Leans and strong leans. I'm 4-0 and instead of having made oh, official plays. Mm. Weakness, Fez. Weakness. Like Ken Jennings in Jeopardy, I'm not wagering enough. You are enough. not Jeopardy, James. Not wagering enough. It's the WNBA basically a Connecticut alumni game. Sue Bird, Brianna Stewart. Seems like every name you bring up, ah, they played for Connecticut. Yeah, they played for Connecticut. Minnesota just got a couple rookies from Connecticut, and they're playing really well, yes. Fair enough. That is Steve Fezzik with a WNBA best bet. And again, you can follow Fez on Twitter, at Fezzik Sports. That's F-E-Z-Z-I-K Sports. You can follow Sleepy J on Twitter, at Sleepy J underscore pregame. Is that correct, Sleepy J? 
That is correct. Daryl, if he's in the house, what's your Twitter handle, Daryl? Um, it's J-U-S-T-D-A-R-Y-L-E. Just Daryl. Just Daryl on Twitter. I am Brad Powers. I am not giving out my best bet. We're going back to the NBA Finals here. Fez, I'm embarrassed because you got after got after this a lot earlier than I did, but you got after it when it was only available on the East Coast and in faraway places. I still think there's value here, and, and I'm going to do some math, and you can see if you you, you know can back me up here. I'm going to take Steph Curry to win the finals MVP. Minus 140 is a fair price. I think you can find maybe minus 135 if you shop around really hard, at least in Vegas. Right now, I think Golden State has about a 75% chance to win the finals. You agree with that, Fez? Maybe a little high, a couple maybe percent. A li- maybe a little high. I'd call it seventy-two. Yeah, but I'm in the ballpark. Yeah, I think the minus two eighty is a little cheap. That's just an own personal lean. I, if you gave me a hundred bucks to bet, I would bet Golden State minus the two eighty. So that's why I'm a couple percentage points higher than what the market is. If that, what's that? The button. You want to bet? Yeah. I said a lean. Uh, you said. I thought you said. I. You said you would bet them. If you gave me 280 bucks, you going to give me 280 bucks? You I'll give you minus uh 265. You want to bet that? Yeah, let's do it. We got a bet. So I got minus 265 on the Warriors and what do you have take back? Plus 265. Oh wow. See how you did that guy's dirtiest player no, in the that's game. That's right. That's right in the middle. Fair enough. <laughs> Just kidding. All right, so we got a bet. That's good. We haven't had one in a while here on the Dream Preview. All right, so 75%. I'm taking a a stake now with the Warriors on top of this. If that's the case, if the Warriors win, I think Steph Curry's got about an 85% chance to win the finals. And hear me out. Keep in mind, Steph Curry has never won an NBA Finals MVP. So you had Iguodala won it the one year. Uh, and Katie's won it the last couple of years. So I think there's going to be a growing sentiment, especially since Golden State's been so good with Steph in the lineup and KD out. And keep in mind, Katie's going to miss at least one game, if not more in this series. So 75% chance that Golden State uh, wins the series. 85% chance that Steph Curry wins the finals, if indeed uh, uh, wins the finals MVP, if Golden State wins it. So 0.75 times 0.85 I got 63.75% is that what you got Fez? Yeah and you know what I like about this is that even if you're not right on Golden State being more likely to win the series in the underlying market and just use the market number which is, is 72% and you take that 0.72 we'll go with that 0.85 which Do you I, agree with that or you think that's optimistic or you think that's fair? Oh I think 0.85 is very fair. I, I, I could almost talk myself into 90%. Draymond Green is the only um real path I think you got to worry about um, because I think even if Clay has a big series, the only reason Clay has a big series is because Steph is setting him up and getting all these assists and, and the like. So so if we use that 0.85, I get um, 61% chance. So if it's a 61% chance bet being conservative here, you can lay up to what, minus 152 and have a profitable bet and you're only laying minus 135, minus 140. Looks good to me, Mr. Powers. Thank you, Fez. Again, that's Steph Curry. To win the finals MVP, right around minus 140. That is my best bet. Fun show here. We went about 80 minutes, hour 20 here. Anything else you want to add, Fez? Well, just the you're licking your chops. College football games of the year are starting to come out all over the place. You want to talk about that for a couple minutes uh, and how you prepare? 
I mean, it's complicated. I think it'll be better next week once we have, you know, lines out from a couple different places and I'll break it down. I mean, quite, I mean, I start obviously with my end of season power ratings. I do up downs for all 130 teams. I go in just real basically at the start. I look at a couple of key categories, turnovers. Was the team fortunate or not uh, the, the previous season when it came to turnovers? Because there's a, a, a randomness to that outside of teams like Alabama and whatnot. And then I look at close wins and losses, games decided by seven points or less, and, and see, did you win a lot of those games? Did you lose? Again, regression towards the mean there. Look at returning production coming back. You know, it doesn't sound too complicated, but when you factor in, it's not 32 teams, it's 130 teams. It requires some work. I watch spring games. I buy all the preseason magazines. I read probably 1,500 plus pages when it's all said and done during the course of the summer. And I come out with my power ratings. And the reason I love betting these is, I mean, I wish the syndicates aren't getting involved because you can't get enough down. And you're talking nickels and dimes here, $500 and $1,000 bets. And for a guy like myself, that's... Those are decent bets for me. And what I really like is it's me against the bookmaker. And I have an ego. uh, And I have a really big ego when it comes to college football. I think I know better than the bookmaker. In fact, I know I do because they haven't watched spring games. I have. So, you know, when it comes to college football, I think you can get it, you know, ahead of a lot of major line moves. And I think, you know, lines are just wrong. Uh, You and I did bet one. Uh, here here today and that line's off more than a touchdown as good as you are in the nfl how many games and cgt released all the nfl games weeks two through 16 how many games are off more than a touchdown when it comes to the nfl none i remember i bet the bears um week two again at denver and i caught plus one and i couldn't believe it i was like wow this line is completely off the Bears should be laying two so there you go. Three points. Wow. And that's through zero. <laughs> and I told you today, I texted you one. I was like, hey, this is way off. Wrong team favored. And the other team was favored by a touchdown. I said, hey, wrong team favored. This line's way off. And it already moved before you bet it. People are pouncing. I moved two points. And I said, For, forget it. It's still off more than a touchdown. The, 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 the team's catching four. And they should be laying seven. It was uh, Baylor at home against West Virginia. So to get in front of those big line moves that are off seven to 10 points just doesn't happen in any other sport. You bet Baylor plus four uh, versus West Virginia in that game. And uh, one more question before we wrap up. Um, You mentioned it snuck snuck in a little wise guy comment where you said you look at turnover differential and you said, of course, not for Alabama because we know they're going to win the turnovers because they got the better athletes. Yes, because there's so much less um, parity in college than the NFL. Do you use some kind of chart where you take a top 10 team and say, you know what? I just expect Ohio State or Georgia on an average year to win the turnovers by, you know, maybe seven or eight. Yeah, it's something, you know, Pete Carroll's USC teams were always winning the turnover battle by 15 plus in the course of a season. For those, I mean, I hate to say I have different rules, but a lot of times those elite four or five programs, I have different rules for those. And same at the bottom. I mean, you see teams like UTEP, Fez, that, I mean, unless they there's an entire dynamic change in that program, a brand new hotshot coach, I mean, even though they were minus 15 turnovers one year, 
it's not like I automatically think they're going to go from, you know, of one and 11 uh, to, to sit in there close to bowl eligibility. It just doesn't work that way in, in college football. Fair enough. Although UTEP does have the major advantage of not having the ball very often on offense. That does help to <laughs> keep the turnovers from going crazy. Fair enough. That's Steve Fezzik. I'm Brad Powers. That'll do it here for the Dream Preview Podcast. We'll talk to you guys next week. And of course, RJ will be back next week. Take care. Enjoy the NBA Finals. Thanks for listening to RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Catch the Wise Guy Roundtable each week. College football released on Wednesday. NFL on Thursday. Don't miss any winners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit podcastone.com and download the Podcast One app. Have a question for RJ? You can contact him directly on Twitter at RJ in Vegas. Live the dream with us each week.